We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Empire. Triple Play Fantasy's football show with D. Mindy, Brass Adamus, Doc, and Johnny Foosball starts now. The one-yard line. Play action. Garcia on the move. They go up top. He's got a man. Oh, yeah. I could watch that highlight on a loop all day. You fellas, you saw it? (laughs) That's always fun to see. A nice one of the positive reminders of Cleveland. Not a whole lot of positives. (laughs) That that, That was a good day. That was a good day. Well, everybody, you see him on the screen. I got to introduce him the right way. We welcome in a man that abuses 100-pound dumbbells like he used to abuse opposing defenses. A four-time pro bowler with over 25,000 yards, 161 passing touchdowns, and 58 career wins, the man was over here dropping dimes while you were throwing pennies. Does the gray beard fool you? It shouldn't because the man is mobile, having over 2,100 yards on the ground and 26 rushing touchdowns. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the golfer, the lifter, the girl dad, the one-man band, Jeff Garcia. How's it going, man? It's going great, man. All's good in my hood out here in North San Diego. Can't complain. Hey, man. Really happy you could jump on the stream with us today. I mean, uh, we we kind of talked before the show that we're definitely a little bit younger. We kind of saw the – I first remember watching you with the Eagles a little bit. That was kind of my first memory of watching you, but – you, you put up some numbers in the league, man. So, uh, I mean, you had a great career for yourself. Yeah, I mean, when you look at uh, the fact that I wasn't drafted, came out of a smaller Division One school, San Jose State, uh, still had a pretty good collegiate uh, experience, uh, set some records at San Jose State, played in the East-West Shrine game, was the MVP of the East-West Shrine game, which at the time was amongst one of the top senior all-star games in the country outside of the senior bowl and so there was a lot of great talent playing in that game and i played there right right there with them you know toe to toe but uh coming out of that still wasn't getting any sniffs from the nfl and so for me to still have the opportunity to actually play uh, didn't get invited to the combine didn't get invited to be a free agent to any team so my only option was to go to canada and you know, take those years to try to grow and mature and, and see what, what would come out of it. But being fortunate, fortunate to have the opportunity to continue to do what I love to do 
And that was play the game of football, continue to be like a kid in a lot of ways, you know. And uh, so I was blessed in that way. And, uh, you know, we talk about opportunities in life and you're not always going to get the exact opportunity that crosses your path. And we don't know when an opportunity will cross our path. But if we're not prepared for that opportunity, then we're going to miss out on it. And I think that's the main thing for me is that I was always prepared and uh, trying to take advantage. As soon as that door would crack open, I would do my best to blow it open. And blow it open, you did. And at researching you for this interview, I'm just your accolades and, and the what you went through to get to where you were in the league is just fascinating to me. Starting back, kind of, you touched on the San Jose State days. First of all, in, in high school, you were a two sport athlete. You were uh, a multi, playing multiple sports again. I mean, it's. I feel like you read a lot of these guys uh, in NFL. They're like, I did three, four sports. So let alone being good at one, but you were good at multiple. And that transfer, you transferred eventually to San Jose State from a JUCO college, actually. And redshirted your first year. You were the starting quarterback. And in your junior year in 1992, when I was one years old, you earned <laughs> UPI All-American honors. What did your time at San Jose State do to prep you for, obviously, we'll get to the CFL next, but then eventually the NFL? Well, if anything, you know, going to San Jose State, I, I made that decision because it was still close to where I grew up. It was 30 miles away from my hometown of Gilroy. I played one year of junior college football for my dad, who was the head football coach at Gavlin Junior College. And that's what I grew up around. I grew up around my dad coaching the game, coaching these 18, 19 20-year-old, to me, they looked like giants, but they were just a snot-nosed kids in a lot of ways, trying to figure it out on their own. You know, my dad became a father figure to a lot of those kids, and he inspired them, he mentored them, he, uh, he motivated them, and he challenged them. He also cracked the whip on them a little bit, gave them some discipline, and, and, uh, and, and taught them how to really focus in on something and work hard at something and be dedicated to something and be great teammates and all those things. And so for me to grow up watching all of that, uh, it was just a natural thing for me to gravitate toward the game of football. Yeah. I loved playing baseball. I played basketball, soccer, played all those sports growing up. But uh, when it came down to kind of whittling it down, so to speak, I kind of stuck to basketball and football in high school and then going on to the junior college, playing football for my dad uh, was a tremendous experience. And after that single year, that one year, he let some schools know, hey, if you're interested, he can transfer now. He's ready to go. And I had some offers. Utah, Wyoming, and San Jose State were really my Division I offers at that time. And so for me, going to San Jose State, keeping it close to home where my family could still be involved, go to the games on the weekends, all of those things. But what prepared me at San Jose State for the next level was really the adversity that I had to go through. I mean, we played some big-time teams, especially in the first part of the season. They were like money games for our university. You know, it was kind of like being thrown to the wolves, so to speak. We'd go up to the University of Washington. We went to University of Florida. We went to Louisville. We went to – you know, Minnesota and the Big Ten, they weren't really a powerhouse, but, you know, it was a Big Ten program. And for those games, for us, they were to really sustain our program. You know, it was like, hey, we have to go out here because they're going to pay us money and it's going to help our program survive, right? And uh, 
you know, it prepared us for our conference games, but more than anything, the adversity of having three different head coaches in three years, you know, I never would have imagined. And had I known, had I had any foresight as to what would go on at San Jose state, I probably would have chose chosen elsewhere. I probably would have ended up at the university of Utah where there was some great stability under one coach, but for me at San Jose, I had three different head coaches, which meant three different coordinators, mm -hmm. three years that I played outside of my red shirt year. And so I had to learn a new system every single year. And I had to learn how to make that work. I had to learn new terminology, hey, the verbiage. Uh, you have to learn what everybody's role is doing as the quarterback. You can't just learn what you have to do. You have to know what everybody else has to do as well. So that definitely prepared me from the mental standpoint as to going into a professional football league, being able to learn a system quickly and adapt to it and, and being able to make that system work within myself and the attributes that I brought to the table. You know, going to Canada was maybe a blessing in disguise for me because it gave me an opportunity to continue to grow and mature. I watched Doug Flutie for my first year and a half. He was the starter for the Calgary Stampeders when I signed up in Calgary. And uh, I wasn't even the second string quarterback. I was backing up another guy who was the backup to Doug Flutie. That guy had been in the league for six years. And so for me, it was Steve really Taylor. Yeah. Steve Taylor, that absolutely out of Nebraska. And so for me at the time, I was in competition with another rookie just to be the third string quarterback. And, and I talk about opportunities and, and the window of opportunities and taking advantage of opportunities. I really had one chance to showcase my skill. I had one preseason game and it wasn't an entire preseason game. It was one quarter in a preseason game. We only played two preseason games back then, but I had a quarter that was going to be my only quarter. So we all, all four quarterbacks had a quarter. Doug started the game. Then the other rookie played the second quarter. Steve Taylor played the third quarter. I got the fourth quarter. I went into the game, score tied 14-14. And uh, I'm still learning the system. I'm still getting used to everything. I mean, we're two weeks in, but it's a whole new ball game. I mean, we're talking going to Canada where there are some different rules, right? And if you've seen the CFL game, you have three downs, get a first down. It's a longer and wider field. You have motion with wide receivers. You have 12 on 12, so it's an extra man on each side. So a little bit different rules as compared to the American game. And so adjusting to that, adapting to the system. Anyways, I step in, and for whatever reason, I still remember the statistics out of this game. I go six for eight in two drives and throw two touchdown passes. We win the game 28 to 14. Well, after that game, the offensive coordinator, John Huffnagel, who played at Penn State, he played in the NFL for a brief time and then up at the CFL, coached for many years, coached in the NFL as well. He was our OC. In that game, he saw something in me that kind of turned the light bulb on because he didn't really see that in practice. The other kid seemed to look better in practice, threw a nice ball, was athletic. His name was Kelvin Simmons out of Troy State. The American scout wanted Kelvin Simmons. The offense coordinator wanted me. It became a battle between the two guys as to who they would keep. I ended up getting the nod. 
And it just goes to show, I mean, here we're talking 1994. I could have been moving on to a whole new profession at that time instead of playing professional football until 2011. You know, so, hey, it was an opportunity. I was able to take advantage of it. I was able to show some things that impressed some people, and it gave me the chance to make the team. And that year, I just watched. I think I got two snaps in one game. They weren't very exciting and nothing to nothing to brag about. And then it was really my second year when I did become the backup to Doug. Mm-hmm. Doug goes down midway through the season with an elbow injury. I take over, and that was all she wrote. Again, Jeff. another opportunity to take advantage of. Jeff, as we talk about opportunity and kind of how you got your shot, I'm curious, you know, we're seeing pro-caliber quarterbacks come from all sorts of schools now and we're also seeing NFL teams miss on big D1 QB prospects. In your opinion, is there anything that scouts are getting blatantly wrong in evaluating QBs? Well, you know, so much of the evaluation comes down to, and I don't want to say it's the coaches, but scouts and management tend to want to lean on individual workouts, the combine, things that really don't, showcase the true talent of a quarterback or of a player. I mean, it's in the heat of the battle as to where a guy should be judged, where a guy should be uh, evaluated. And uh, when you look at what guys do on the actual field, when they're in the mix, in the moment, and how they respond, how they handle the adversity during a game, how they lead their team, how they have the energy out on the field that, that creates creates excitement around them, how they just are as people. You know, I think if nothing else, there should be interviews done with the strength coach of the college football team. How dedicated was this guy in the weight room? Hey, I want to talk to uh, his teachers in his classrooms. Was the guy showing up to class? Was he a good student? Or did he skate by? I mean, I want to know those things about the quality of person that is within a guy, if I'm truly evaluating a guy who I already know has the skill level to maybe transition to the next level, I want to know some of those intricate details as to how he is as a person, how dedicated he was in other parts of his life and, uh, and, and, and what this means to him, how important is football to him? How much does he want to learn about the game of football? Or does he feel like he knows it already that he could just show up and make it happen? Because that doesn't happen in the national football league. We've seen that time and time again with guys like who I was a teammate with for a brief time, Jamarcus Russell. We saw it with uh, Johnny Manziel. We've seen it many times with first round draft picks. There's a couple first round draft picks from a couple years ago, Josh Rosen, who we were high on and people were high on. And now it's not necessarily translating. He's almost getting pushed out the door for whatever reason. And, uh, you know, it's like those sort of situations when it comes to drafting a quarterback in the first round, nobody's developed the science that's been bulletproof. There's been a lot of thoughts going into these players. And as many times as they've hit, they've also missed. Mm -hmm. And so – you know, for me, um, it really comes down to I want to see a guy who 
His teammates love him. His teammates want to go to battle, want to go to war with him, who wants to do anything and everything within his power to be the best player and the best leader and the best teammate on the field. It has nothing to do with what his overall statistics are. I don't care what that comes down to. I want to know that is, is the guy a winner in crunch time, two minutes left in the game. Does he want the ball in his hands and does he want to be a difference maker? And that's to me, the quality that this guy needs to bring to this team because, Hey, it's a whole nother ball game. It's a whole nother group of adults that all have some egos, some chips on their shoulder. And you got to be able to fit in and blend in and, 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 and grab the attention in a positive way. Jeff, you were a dedicated, we talked about dedication to the game. You were dedicated as, as they come. Do you remember the game when you talked about Doug Flutie going down the elbow injury? Do you remember the game that you kind of introduced to the CFL? You were there. Do you remember your stats for that game? Well, you know, my first start, so it was weird. In the CFL, sometimes you would have, you would play a back-to-back game against the same team. It didn't happen all the time, but that weekend, it was middle of the season. It was game nine, I believe, that he went in. We had an 18-game regular season in the CFL. Game nine, I believe it was, that he went down, and it was against the uh, Birmingham Barracudas. So at that time, the CFL had tried to expand into the States, and there were five teams scattered throughout the United States. There was a South division and a North division, the North being all the CFL or all the Canadian teams and the South being all the USA, the United States teams. So we played Birmingham again the next week. So my my first start was on the road in Birmingham and it was, it was a good start. We lost to them at home when Doug started that final game. And I just came in, it was late fourth quarter when I came into the game and we were already down. Um, We weren't able to come back and win it. The next week we go down to Birmingham and we actually kicked their ass down there in Birmingham. And I believe I threw for over 400 and two touchdowns. But coming back to Calgary the next week, which was the big interprovincial rivalry game against the Edmonton Eskimos, the Labor Day Classic. It's always on Labor Day, and it's called the Labor Day Classic. Again, it's a home and away series. On Monday, we play home in Calgary. On Friday, literally four days later, we'll play up in Edmonton. And uh, that opener for me at home in front of the hometown crowd against Edmonton, it was a lights out. It was a lights out performance for me. I'll have to say that. I mean, to say the least, 546 passing yards and six passing touchdowns. I mean, that's 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 getting the job done if I've ever seen it. But your CFL stuff, I mean, Jeff Nicklin Memorial Trophy given to the most outstanding player in the CFL. The You led your team to a Grey Cup victory over the Hamilton Tiger Cats. You were named the Grey Cup MVP. You were a 98 CFL All-Star, and you are also in the Stamp-Peters Wall of Fame. This all kind of helped translate you to the NFL. Because following your Grey Cup victory, you signed to back up Steve Young, legendary Steve Young with the San Francisco 49ers. And over that summer, you've been fighting for a spot on the roster. But in early 99, you get that chance. Steve Young suffered what would be his final professional concussion, knocking him out for the year. You stepped in and shared time with former Stanford quarterback Steve Stenstrom. And can you talk about that point getting meaningful reps for the first time in the NFL? What was it like for you? 
Yeah, you know, I really looked at the 49ers as being such the ideal fit for me. I had one other offer coming out, and that was with the Miami Dolphins. And they had Dan Marino as their quarterback, which would turn out to be Dan Marino's last year as well. He suffered an injury in 99, end up being his last season. But I'm not a Dan Marino kind of quarterback. I'm more of a Steve Young kind of quarterback. And not only was San Francisco back where I grew up, but just the fit of the offense that they ran, the West Coast style of offense. I had ran that for a season under Ron Turner at San Jose State. My junior year, we ran the West Coast offense. So a lot of the terminology was familiar to me. Um, Steve Young being a mobile guy, that's how I was. I was that mobile guy as well. And I just felt like this is the ideal location for me. Also had Bill Walsh, who was on the management side. And that's really why I got a workout with the 49ers was because Bill Walsh was a guy that believed in me, saw me play against his Stanford team in college, and he liked how I played the game. And so because of that, he's like, I want to bring you in for a workout. Now, you have to show up and do your thing. And fortunately for me, I had already gone through four workouts. I worked out for the Raiders. I'd worked out for the Jaguars, the St. Louis Rams, the Dolphins, and then San Fran was my last workout. Miami had offered me a contract. I told them, hey, I just want to make – this one last workout happen, and then I'll make a decision. And, uh, you know, I was prepared. I was prepared. I had already gone through the process four previous times. You know, our season had ended in November with Calgary winning the Grey Cup and all of that. So I had been off about a month, month and a half before I started doing workouts for like the Raiders and those teams. And I'll admit, that when I worked out for the Raiders, I probably wasn't in my best condition. Hell, I'd been running around with the Grey Cup title for <laughs> a great time up in Calgary. But that being said, by the time I worked out for the Niners, I, I was I was ready to go. And even in Miami, I mean, I had great workouts there for a for a guy who's only 6'1", 190 pounds, right? I mean, look, I'm not walking off the bus and impressing anyone, and so especially back then I wasn't fitting the mold or the prototype. Right. But I think what helped me was Doug Flutie had come to Buffalo the year before in 98, had a good season splitting time with Rob Johnson, but actually was very successful on the field. And that helped open eyes up to the CFL and open up eyes to what I was doing. And then to come into San Fran and, and really believe that just like in Calgary, I'd be able to back up one of the all-time great quarterbacks, learn, watch him, continue to mature and grow into the position, and maybe in a year or two when he decides to step down, I'll take over. Well, it happened a lot sooner than that. Happened in week three on a Monday night game, and next thing you know, you're in the heat of the battle, right? And, uh, you know, I, I knew the system. I felt comfortable in the system. But things happen a lot faster when you're out there on the field trying to make it happen. And that was the biggest adjustment for me. It wasn't that the CFL game didn't play fast, but there was more space to work with. And a different, just, uh, a different approach to the game in ways. The windows of opportunity in the NFL just got that much smaller. And so for me, stepping into that, 
the first game I started, you know, I finished off the Monday night game against Arizona. We win the game. I don't make any mistakes. I only threw the ball maybe six or eight times in that second half, had a couple runs, and I think we broke off a couple big runs by our running backs. But other than that, I just had to manage the game. The next game, we played Tennessee Titans at home, and this is my first start in front of the hometown crowd, and I'm fired up, man. The chills are going down my spine. I'm like starting off at home in front of my family, my friends, everybody that grew up watching me. Hey, they're paying attention, and we go out there, and I play solid football, throw for two. I run for one, throw for over 200 yards, you know, 60-plus percent completion percentage, and Tennessee goes to the Super Bowl that year, so they're a pretty damn good football team. Mm-hmm. Beat them, right? And I'm like, this is easy, man. I got this. Well, <laughs> the wheels fell off soon after that, and I had some struggles, and in those next four starts, things – slowly kind of just started to go downhill for me. And I, and, and I started to press. I started to put a lot of pressure on my own shoulders. Like people looking at the team, what's the major difference of the team? Well, the quarterback's different. It's not Steve Young anymore. And I was assuming that kind of responsibility and putting that pressure on myself. Like I got to be perfect. Well, you can't expect that. You got to go out and play loose and have fun and enjoy it and be natural. And I started to press and things, things got difficult, and they benched me. That's when they benched me for Steve Stenstrom, who him and I had competed against each other in college, him being the Stanford quarterback. And, uh, you know, he lasted two games before they put the loose around, noose around his neck and pulled him out of the game. And they said, okay, man, you ready to go back in? I'm like, yeah, let me give it a shot. And so I go back in for those final five games, and the results of – the win-loss didn't really change much, but the results of how our offense operated was definitely different. I got more comfortable. I got more confident. I played more loose. Uh, you know, my statistics were complete reversal in the last five games as they were the first five games. I think in the first five, I threw two touchdowns, nine interceptions. The last five, nine touchdowns, two interceptions it really started to click for me and our team offensively started to be better, more productive. And that led to the off season, the off season where uh, we come into the, you know, 2000 season, we still struggle as a team. We were a team that was going through a, a, a turnover. You know, we had a lot of older vets that were now being replaced with younger players. They weren't the strong teams of the eighties and nineties. There were a lot of new faces that had to, come in and, and take over. But that second year for me was a record setting year that still holds as far as passing yardage for the 49ers in a season and uh, was my first Pro Bowl appearance. So, you know, things got better and uh, we turned it around and that year we were six and 10, but the next year went 12 and four and playoffs and then playoffs again. And there were a lot of great things happening with the Niners. It's just too bad that management once again wants to get in the way and Screw it all up, man. Yeah, and Jeff, you know, speaking as a 49ers fan, uh, certainly appreciate what you've done for the team. And, you know, you'd mentioned kind of that that second season, and this carried over for a nice two-year stretch of multiple 30 passing touchdown seasons. The 49ers' first playoff appearance in the prior couple seasons, division title. I mean, I'm getting the nostalgia talking about this. Division <laughs> clinching game, coming on a last-second touchdown pass to T.O. against the Cowboys. 
But I want to talk about January 5th, 2003. And I'm sure you remember that day, right? Your win over the New York Giants, which was the second largest comeback victory in NFL playoff history. And this was a signature game of your career. Can you explain to our listeners how the comeback occurred? You know, I think everybody thinks of the 28-3 to Super Bowl, but you're the OG when it comes to comebacks. Yeah, you know, that day, uh, and it wasn't like we weren't playing well offensively. I mean, we started off hot right off the bat. Defensively, we get an interception off a deflected pass. And my first pass, I throw a hook route to T.O. He ping-pongs off two defenders and goes like 70 for a touchdown, right? And we're like, yeah, this is how it's going to be all day long, right? Well, then they got warmed up and they started a controlling controlling the ball and making things happen. And really, there's a couple significant plays that took place that probably allowed us to really make that comeback and win that football game. First of all, Chalky, the tight end, he's having a great day, but he drops a sure-handed touchdown pass in the corner of the end zone, which would have put them up by 28. Okay, they're up 21 at the time. They hit that touchdown. They go up 28 in the third quarter. Now we're talking four tu- at least four touchdowns to get back in the game. Well, he drops it, and uh, they kick a field goal. So they go up 24. That was a significant drop because I think it, it allowed us to still be within a three-touchdown margin if we get the two-point conversions and that sort of thing. And with – Really, eight minutes to go in the third quarter. There was enough time to where you were going to get at least three possessions, maybe four. And so we just had to be good with the football. We went into a no-huddle situation at that time. And really, it was about just finding completions. Hey, finding guys, allowing guys to make plays. Hey, whether it was Ty Streets, Terrell Owens, getting uh, Eric Johnson involved, our running backs involved. you know, the offensive line had done a pretty good job all day. If, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think Strahan or the crew got to me that day. I was able to get the ball out of my hands. I was able to move around a little bit, escape at times, make things happen. But we score that first touchdown toward the end of the third quarter, and we get the two-point conversion. And now we're talking about a 16-point game with an entire quarter to play. And that's really what the attitude was on our sidelines. There was no panic. I'm sure the emotions of the crowd were like, Oh, down. (laughs) But as a player, you got to be here. You got to be here the entire time. You can't get caught up in the emotional roller coaster of it all. You got to stay calm, poised. You know that you can't get it all back in one play or one series. You got to put some string, some plays together. You got to string a drive together. You got to get some first downs. Got to move the chains. All those things that we needed to do, we started to make happen. And then we needed some, we needed some defensive stand up. You know, we needed our defense to stand up at times. And I think what happens when you do have a twenty-four point lead, what New York did was they took the foot off the gas, man. They took the foot off the gas. They didn't keep playing their game. They were killing our DBs outside. They went more conservative. We started to shut them down a little bit, get some punts, some field position changes. And then also we had to rely on a couple missed opportunities on their behalf. They missed not one field goal at the end of the game. 
but they missed two critical field goals in that fourth quarter that one could have won it. The other one may have put it too far ahead to catch up. So we were fortunate. It took a little bit of luck, but it took a lot of perseverance and a lot of just, hey, solid teamwork and making it happen, belief in each other, uh, having that trust in one another that you were going to be where you needed to be, that you were going to do what you had to do in order to give us a chance to make plays, to score points, to get back in the game. And for that high moment of the next few seasons, you kind of started facing some adversity in your 49ers tenure. You bounced around battling some injuries, eventually landed with, uh, as a big Chiefs fan, my uh, my hero, Andy Reid. And you landed with him in Philadelphia to back up Donovan McNabb. McNabb goes down with a knee injury. Many said the Eagles were done, but no, 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 no. You led the Eagles to five consecutive victories and the NFC East Division Championship, throwing 10 touchdowns and only two interceptions. It posted a QB rating of 95.8 in the final eight games played. You also were on the front cover of Sports Illustrated during that winning streak, and you earned your second playoff win when you beat the Giants again, 23-20. to 20. So after kind of a few tough years, what did it feel like validating yourself? And this is, as we talked about before the show, when I kind of first saw who you were because I didn't know you, I didn't watch too much when you were with the Niners. Uh, what did it feel like kind of validating yourself that you're like, I belong here in this league? No, it was, it was an incredible feeling. It was awesome to be a part of that, that locker room in Philadelphia. We had some great, great leaders in that locker room. You talk about guys like Brian Dawkins and Brian Westbrook and Jeremiah Trotter and just, some quality, quality, not just great performers and players on the field, but just great teammates, guys that led by example, guys that were just physically and mentally tough. And uh, and and there was a, a real unity, a real coming together of that locker room, especially after the injury to Donovan. I think, you know, so many people relied on Donovan to just be a playmaker. Hey, go out there and just make plays for us. And We'll jump on board and we'll, we've got your back, but maybe nobody was really stepping up and, and helping to lead and just kind of relying on him to do it all, to carry it all. And uh, I think when I stepped on the field, it really became more of a team atmosphere in the sense of, Hey, we all need to step up our game. And I think I challenged guys in the huddle to just be better. I think that uh, what I came in with, uh, and nothing against Donovan and his approach because he's a happy-go-lucky, fun guy. And, and not that I can't be fun and happy-go-lucky too, but when I step on the practice field, I want to be perfect. I want to step into the huddle, and I want to command that huddle. I want to have a presence in there, and I want to say things with confidence, and I want to follow through with integrity. And, 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 and everything that I did, I wanted – I strive to be perfect. In practice, I know come game day, there are going to be mistakes. There are going to be some things that happen. But if I can gain the trust of my teammates that, hey, I'm here for you. You can rely on me. We'll be able to do this together again, one game at a time. You know, when I stepped into that game in Tennessee at home in Philly against Tennessee and Donovan went down, I mean, we ended up losing that game. We're five and five after a, I believe a four and one start or four and two start. I mean, we lost, you know, uh, whatever it was to be five and five at that point. Then we go to Indianapolis. My first start is against Peyton 
out there in Indy. And this is the 2006 season. We all know what happens. Indy wins the Super Bowl that year, right? So they're a pretty damn good football team. We actually play decent offensively. We put up some points, but we couldn't stop Peyton. And uh, we lose that game. Well, now we come back home and we have a little uh, Monday night football game against Carolina Panthers. And it ends up being a, a battle, man. It ends up being a great game and uh, really comes down to the wire. And we pick off a Jake DeLone pass at the end of the game to seal the win. And uh, there was a moment in that game where you have to understand Philly fans, man. And you guys being maybe out there watching, hey, Redskin fans, the whole NFC, right? It's a hated, hated uh, type of mentality when you're talking about teams within the division and fans and how they treat each other. Well, and also in how they treat the players, right? It's a love-hate relationship. So in that game against Carolina, I believe it's the second quarter, and we're driving down. We're in scoring range. I get body slammed by their big nose tackle. I can't think of his name right now, but he was a big old dude. <laughs> he picked me up, and he power drove me like a WWE wrestler <laughs> in the ground. And lands on my stomach, man. And I'm so the wind gets knocked out of me. I'm I'm on my stomach, grasping for air. I'm it's the worst feeling. If you ever got the wind knocked out of you, it's one of the worst feelings ever. <laughs> that thirty seconds or so when you can't breathe and you're trying to get air and you're like you're it's like agonizing, right? Well, the fans, the backup at the time to me was. Um, Gosh, I'm drawing a blank. Is it AJ Thiele? AJ Thiele, right? So AJ had all, already been in Philly before, and he had played some and and had some fan appreciation there. He gets up to start warming up, and the fans go crazy, right? And I took that as like, what? You're like, <laughs> and I'm rolling around like suffering. F you in a lot of ways. I mean, that was the attitude. I, I was like, I was pissed. I jumped up. I got back into the game. We end up winning the game, but my mentality that game was all about like shoving it in their faces, not the Carolina Panthers, but the Philadelphia Eagle fans, because I was like, that bothered me. Right. Well, we go on a three game road swing. And this is rare in the National Football League. It's rare to play three games on the road in a row, let alone all three games within your division. And at the time, the NFC East division was one of the best divisions, if not the best division in the National Football League. So it started off in Washington, then it went to New York, and then it ended in Dallas on Christmas Day. And uh, we swept them. You know, we came back home on New Year's Eve night to play Atlanta. And uh, we actually had clinched the division because Dallas had lost earlier that day. And we were playing the Sunday night game against Atlanta. And uh, the fans were going nuts, man. It was kind of like, a, you know, we were gone for three games. We did our thing. And we came back. And the fans went from believing the season was over when Donovan got hurt to now all of a sudden, like, we're back. We are back. And uh, to bring that back to the city, um, it was awesome, man. It was a great run. It was an awesome feeling. 
Uh, we end up winning the first playoff game at home against New York. And then we lost a nail biter in New Orleans. I really believe if we win that game in New Orleans, we lost by three or four points. It was a close one. We win that game. We go to Chicago for the NFC championship game. I think we compete against the bears better than what New Orleans, New Orleans. I just, you know, a cold weather environment in Chicago. That was us. That we were that grit. We had that grit. I think we could have challenged Chicago potentially. I, you know, you never know, but that could have been my Super Bowl run. Had we gotten by new Orleans, you, you get know? to rematch Peyton. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in, the, in the rain in Miami. That ended up being a rainy, nasty Super Bowl from what I remember. But, uh, yeah, man, that Philly experience. You know, and and for me, it kind of also was like shoving it back a little bit at Detroit and Cleveland. Two teams where, hey, let's be honest, those teams have struggled. Those organizations have Mm -hmm. struggled for years, right? But being in the mix of that and being a part of that and hoping and wanting to change that to bring positivity to the team, to bring a different outcome to the team, and then it not happening for whatever reason, and then just being shoved aside, especially in Cleveland. I had signed a four-year deal. You know, one year I'm there. Butch Davis resigns with four games left in the season. It's, it's it's, It's a mess. It's a mess. They hire Romeo Cornell. They get a new general manager. They come in. They want to clean out the entire quarterback room. They don't want to keep anyone. So they let me go. They let the other two guys go, and they start from scratch. Well, I had a little redemption in Detroit because even though I broke my fibula in the preseason, you know, eight weeks later, I rushed back, and I got back on the field, and my first start was against Cleveland in Cleveland. With yeah. Detroit. So you're talking about, hey, two teams that probably aren't very good anyways, but we go out there in Cleveland and we beat them. And to me, that was like, hey, in your face, man. And I, you know, it's not that I mean it in a bad way, but that's the fuel that ignites the fire, right? You got to have passion. You got to have reasons to, to really want to go out and do uh, what you can do or what you're capable of doing or what you believe you're capable of doing. And what's igniting that? What's in? What's inspiring that? What's motivating that? And I would use a lot of these little things as my personal motivation, you know, because it's just one of those things I've had to deal with throughout my life. Always been the scrapper, always the underdog, always the guy who's battling for the opportunity. I can go back to the 1994 draft and ask you, do you know what quarterbacks were drafted that year when that was my draft year? Do you know who was drafted that year and what kind of seasons they had in the NFL or what kind of career they had in the NFL? Do you know anybody drafted in the 1994 year? Unless you look it up. Yeah, I can't think of the top of my head who would be. So the top two draft picks, quarterbacks, were Heath Schuler out of Tennessee who went to the Washington Redskins and didn't last very long. Fortunately, the Redskins – probably drafted the only drafted quarterback in that year that probably had any sort of decent career was Gus Farrat, who was, Uh I believe, in the seventh round by the Washington Redskins as well, right? But the second quarterback taken was uh, Trent Dilfer out of Fresno. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Trent did win a Super Bowl, 
but he kind of was able to really climb on the back of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He win that Super Bowl. He didn't start the whole year, but hey, he got his Super Bowl. Good for him. But he didn't really have a great career. And so for me, looking at those guys that got drafted, the guys that I played in the East-West Shrine game that got drafted, that didn't turn out to be shit in the National Football League, that was always my driving force to, to prove to those people who didn't think I was good enough that I'm more than good enough. And Hey, Jeff. You know, Hey, I did my best and made the most of it, and here I am. <laughs> Jeff, whether it be for, like, exuberance or just a really stressful time in your career, I'm curious, you know, what what year or time of your playing days do you remember most clearly? Yeah, you know, um, that 2006 season with Philly was, was a special year. Um, you know, the 49er – years the five years that I was there meant so much to me because I grew up a 49er fan I grew up in the Bay Area South Bay Area I had all my family a lot of huge support system there uh you know having gone to college at San Jose State we practice in Santa Clara where the stadium is now I mean that's literally 15 minutes away from each other so that was um that was a big part of my journey and so many great memories, a lot of great teammates that I'm still in touch with from those days in San Francisco. Um, you know, I mean, I, I'm fortunate that the head wants to remember what it what, what it, it it's selective memory. I seem to remember a lot of football days. I don't remember a lot of other things in my life, and maybe that's selective, but. Uh, no, my years in San Fran and that run in Philly, they were special, man. I mean, Tampa was a good experience for me, too. Um, unfortunately, in Tampa, things should have been better. We were, we had the, uh, the opportunity to be better than what we ended up being. I mean, we won an NFC South Division title in 2007, which what I was, I was there for and went to the Pro Bowl after that year at 37 years old, you know, and uh, that next year, 38, we uh, were nine and three going into our final four games of the season. All we have to do is win one game. And we secure a playoff playoff spot. We lost all four games at the end of the season, a total collapse. And uh, it led to the firing of John Gruden. I was only under a two-year contract, but with the change of the regime, they changed the GM they changed the head coach. You know, now I was a, a free agent once again, and it really was somewhat the end of my career. I thought I could still play, and I did sign with the Oakland Raiders. And I thought, okay, I started my career in the Bay with the Niners. I'll end it in the East Bay with the Raiders. And then that was a whole nother cluster of problems and situations that at 39 years old, I was at that point in my career, I just didn't want to deal with the politics anymore. I didn't want to deal with the crap of trying to be a part of something where everyone's not on the same page. Everybody's not all in with you. And that's what I felt in Oakland. And it was unfortunate because there were some talented players and I thought we had a good coaching staff. But when you have a guy, Jamarcus Russell, who shows up weighing 305 pounds to training camp and he's as big as your offensive lineman 
you know, something's wrong. The guy that is supposed to lead your team does not want to take the bull by the horns. And for me, having been a starter really throughout my previous 10 years, the National Football League, to now assume a backup role to this guy who doesn't lead by example, doesn't dedicate himself to his craft, and not to not to knock Jamarcus. Uh, I think he probably realizes in many ways that he should have approached certain things differently. And he deep down is a good guy. But unfortunately, when you hand a kid a lot of money mm-hmm. who doesn't have real good guidance or direction in his life, you see sometimes it goes the wrong way. And for Jamarcus, that just happened to be the case. And that ended up being his final year in the National Football League. And I actually asked to be released at the end of training camp because I just didn't want to deal with the crap anymore. I didn't want to deal with, you know what? I should be starting. I should be leading this team. But because this guy's the number one pick in the draft three years, three seasons prior, whatever, he's he's automatically given that job. He hasn't earned it. He doesn't deserve it. The guys around him aren't rallying around him. He's not leading them. But I got to sit back and watch this. And I was at a different point in my life. I had already played now 15 seasons when you include the Canadian Football League. I was starting a family. I had two young kids at home. And I was just like, you know, maybe a release me. Maybe I get grabbed by another team in the National Football League. And it's a better situation. But it kind of be ended up being the last my last real sniff in the league, which, you know what? Hey, I made that decision. I got to live with it. And um, here I am now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. 25,000 passing yards, 187 touchdowns later, and it was a a great career. We're talking a four-time Pro Bowler. He's the man. He is just absolutely decorated, Jeff Garcia. Jeff, we'd like to get you out of here on a little bit of triple play rapid fire. So the first one that comes to your mind, this or that style, are you game? Sure. All right. Hopefully I can think that fast. All right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. First one, pancakes, waffles, or French toast? Waffles. Like it. All right. Encounter dinosaurs or aliens? Dinosaurs. All right. Would you rather have diarrhea at your wedding ceremony or on your wedding night? (laughs) Wedding night. (laughs) (laughs) Smart man. Smart man. Would you rather... Mentally or physically, never age. <sighs> Man, you got him thinking. <laughs> I know. I'm thinking about that one. I'll take the physically never age. I mean, it's almost like that now. You're benching a hundred pound dumbbell. So I know I'm challenging you guys, man. Step up your game. <laughs> Fun fact, I'll, and then I'll get right back to the questions. The reason I connected with Joe was like, hey, if I bench a hundred pound dumbbells, <laughs> you come on the show. So I'm trying to match yeah. you. Good uh, job, and you did it. I saw that. I think you. What'd you get? Eight reps. Got solid eight just for you. I was like, all right, got to get. Uh, got to impress you. 
Dave, Dave fishing for compliments right now. There, there we go. Uh, all right. So would you rather fight against Mike Tyson once or talk like him the rest of your life? <laughs> oh, man. I'll take the fight. Let's go with it. I'll take the fight. That's the competitive side of you, Jeff. I knew you wouldn't back down. One I like time. it. One time, man. <laughs> you can only use one utensil the rest of your life. Fork, knife, or spoon. Which one are you choosing? Fork. Thank you. You're, you're the, that's the only correct answer. So I'm glad you chose that one. <laughs> Would you rather be smacked in the face with a fish or farted on? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Smacked by a fish. I like it. All right. Last two. Would you rather rewind or pause your life? Some thinking questions here. It is because there are always things in the past that you think at an older age, if I just did a little bit differently, what would happen? You know, <laughs> so, but I also have to acknowledge that I pretty blessed in life. So I'll take the pause. I like that. That's a very good answer. Last one. This one's a hard one, right? I'm not talking about when you're playing. I'm talking about right now. You get sacked by Ray Lewis or you have to give up golf. What are you doing? I'll take the sack by Ray Lewis. No problem. You just eat that sack up and you're good to go. He's probably hit me many a times before. Hey, <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't sound as bad good. as that nose tackle from Carolina. I, Oh man. Hey, that one. And then Gilbert Brown, we're in the, uh, wild card playoff first round in green Bay. And it's like six degrees and the first play of the game. And this is after a 12 and four season. We had a damn good year, but the Rams were on fire. I think the Rams were like 14 and two. So we have to travel to green Bay to play them. And the first offensive play of the game we're running double posts with a square out by the tight end. They run a quarters type of coverage. So in my pre-snap and post-snap read, I see quarters. I'm thinking square out to my tight end. Well, I hang on the tight end. He doesn't quite get free. And Gilbert Brown, who is all of 350 pounds, plants his helmet under my chin again. Lifts me off to the ground and power drives everything into that frozen tundra. My chin splits. It's bleeding down into my shirt. That's the first play of the game, man. Had to rally, get back to the huddle, and run play two. Let's go. <laughs> man, there's a mentality between a football player and someone who doesn't play. I, I That would knock me out for the season. But uh, that's why you're you, man. And uh, we really appreciate you coming on the show today. It was an absolute blast for us. You got it, guys. Hey, good luck with everything and all your interviews, man, and take care. I appreciate that. Is there anything to our listeners you want to plug or uh, anything you're doing that you want to kind of tell our audience before you go? Yeah, hey, I mean, if they want to follow me on uh, Instagram, Jeff Garcia QB5, Twitter, Jeff Garcia JGFA. I'm involved with a couple really neat projects that are sport-related. Obsesh is a is an online platform for athletes to be more like mentors coaches and teachers to where young people or adults who want to get better at their craft can actually reach out to a professional athlete 
of all sports and get some get some knowledge, gain some knowledge, get some insight as to how to potentially play the quarterback position better, how I think, how I prepare, how I play, all those things. Another organization, another company is called PlayOn, P-L-A-Y-Y-O-N Sports. And it's an online registration platform where we help make it easier for people to sign up for their league sports, their camps, all of those things. So really some neat things that are going on in my life personally and uh, I'm excited about and, uh, you know, just uh, being a dad. Hey, I got flag football practice in an hour that I have to prepare for. I got <laughs> there you go. 10, 11, 12-year-olds around and make them better on the field. So that's uh, that's where I'm headed to now. Jeff, I love it. And you got me pumped up with everything you're doing. I hope you're able to go have those kids just go and knock it out of the park. You seem like a great motivator. So uh, I, I love it. And everybody that tuned in, we appreciate you watching, listening, however you interact with us. We'll make sure we, uh, we see you guys soon because we're not going anywhere. So we'll catch you all next week.